0: The following episode of The Drip contains offensive language.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Drip, which is the podcast where usually us academics of color are sitting around talking about a book. But this week, this time, this episode, we're actually all in person. We're
0: back. We're back.
1: (laughs) Uh, yes and you hear that applause track because we are in Todd's office with like super fancy podcast recording equipment
0: please don't tell anyone
1: please don't tell anyone okay we're in an undisclosed location (laughs) but um, because we're like here together and we wanted to do a special episode for you all we are going to get back to the books don't worry but we're going to be talking about books and archives but in a different kind of way So this all started out, oh, and I guess we should say who we are before we, though, although, you know, I'm guessing that all of you who are listening to it know who we are. So I'm Anita Chikatur, the host for this podcast, and I teach in the Education Studies Department at Carleton College. Uh, Crystal?
2: Yeah, my name is Crystal Moten. I'm a public historian and I work at a national museum.
0: My name is Todd Lawrence. I teach. Why are you laughing?
1: <laughs>
0: I teach African American uh, literature and expressive culture, folklore, and cultural studies in the English department at the University of Saint Thomas.
1: Ooh, ooh. Okay, I have to say it's a little funny to like actually have my like podcast buddies in person. It's been so long. It's been so long. Been so long. So How long has awesome. it been?
0: Like two and a half years since we've been. Yeah, in like pre
1: pandemic, right? Yeah. So yeah.
0: and yeah. you
2: all, you know what we're missing?
0: What? What's that? The drip. We uh, don't have
2: anything to drink.
1: <laughs> <laughs> drip, that drip, is drip. true.
0: I don't have any drip sounds either. any drip sounds. No, okay. Maybe we can so. add,
1: it in post-production uh, in post, we'll add it in post production. Very <laughs> sophisticated <laughs> post production. All right. So I've been wanting to like talk about this with, well, people, but definitely the two of you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Anyone.
1: <laughs> Anyone. We, Anyone? Anyone who wants to talk to me about this. No, just, you know, in all this like era of like book banning, blah, blah, blah. I've been kind of thinking about the choices that I've like made sometimes in the past as an instructor. Right. And sort of the one example is thinking of is that there's a um, ethnography of a high school that's looking at like issues of like sexuality and gender. And the book is called Dude, You're a Fag, because that was the phrase that the researcher heard like over and over and over again when when they were at the high school, because that was kind of the phrase that was used mostly among boys to like police each other's Gender, right? And so she's like making this really interesting argument about how a lot of the times what was happening in the schools was not so much like explicit homophobia, but actually more around this idea that you know sort of especially boys like should not be feminine, right? So it was a lot of like gender policing, Mm -hmm. and it didn't actually matter like how the boys like identified sexually, right? Like in terms of sexuality. So anyway, so it's like a really good ethnography. It's like a really good book, I thought. Right? So I would like teach it, but my students sometimes would just get hung up on the title, right? And like they couldn't like get beyond the title to like think about what the argument was right and they were just like this is an offensive title like mm-hmm. this is an offensive word mm-hmm. true right and but, but I was like but that's kind of the point <laughs> right like yeah. the research is trying to make yeah. um, but I, I just like I just feel like we spent so much time like thinking about just that which maybe was like an interesting argument to like have if I was teaching a course on like research methods or like research but I was like trying to teach a course on multicultural education in which like gender was one of the things we were talking about mm-hmm. so I just like changed it out right like I had like other readings that I think got at the same themes of like trying to think about right how like homophobia and like sexism and heterosexism kind of play out in high schools which is like kind of the point that I wanted us to get at um so it was like okay like I'm having the wrong arguments discussion with my students so let me just take out this text and like put it in another one right. and I still stand by that right like I think it was like my pedagogical goal right was not to like have an argument about like how we make an argument about this thing like I want to talk about this thing mm. right, right. Mm-hmm. um but I think that just like brought me to this broader question of like what are the kinds of choices that we're making either, you know, for me, like thinking about pedagogically, is that like censorship, right? Because I feel like Crystal, I started explaining it to you and you were like, oh, so you self-centered, uh, censored. And I was like, maybe, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But I was like.
0: You did, right? You yeah.
1: Did. But I feel like I was doing it because I had this like other purpose for like why I was like using this text. And I felt like, you know, and I've been having this like longstanding standing discussion, debate, argument with a colleague about like the use of the N word, right? In the classroom and whether like if it shows up in a text and not like in a text where it's being actually used as a derogatory term, but like, let's say somebody like James Baldwin, who's like using it to like talk about the power of the word, right? Whether or not we would say it. And like, I definitely have like a blanket rule that I would never say it, right? But i like, if a student reads it, maybe we would have a discussion about that or I'm not, you know, I'm not entirely sure. But for the most part, my students never, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say, I think I'm, I, nobody's ever said that in my classroom they just like say the n-word and we kind of talk about the text and all of that mm-hmm. um just gonna so yeah i would have been wanting to ask you too about like what have been your experiences around this kind of stuff and obviously we all have different identities and different you know sort of bodies that we move through the world with so some of that's going to affect some of these choices that we make but um so it's kind of a big <laughs> like broad mm-hmm. question yeah but yeah. i kind of that's kind of what i wanted us to start us off
2: I want to start not by answering the question because <laughs> I reserve a very
0: academic because right? I reserve the right to
2: to not do that. But I I want to start by asking a question of you Anita in mm. terms of if you were writing that book, that study, Ooh. what would you name it?
1: Oh, that is a great question. I think knowing what I know now, mm-hmm. I might not use that phrase in like as a subtitle of Why? my text. Because I've learned that even though like the point of the researcher was to like have this like shocking thing where like, it's like this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. I feel like we were unable to get beyond that shock. Right. And I think the other thing, which I do take seriously, is like some of my students were like, actually, I was called that word mm-hmm. in high school mm-hmm. and it was painful. And like I teach undergrads, so they're like coming right out of high school. Right. Right. And I don't want to like replicate harm in my classroom to make an intellectual or pedagogical point. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So I think I would if I was like, I don't know, rewriting that book for some reason for that author, I would probably take it out and not use it. Yeah. And and so, yeah, I
2: think that's that's real interesting, because when I think about the title of that book and I also think about book publication and marketing, Mm. which I'm right in that process right now with my own book. Mm. I know that all of the time an author doesn't have the 100% freedom to name and title their book. And so when you think about kind of shock value of that offensive word, I also am wondering about, you know, ultimately who made those decisions. And Mm -hmm. for my book, I ultimately had the power to decide the title. Okay. And so I am not sure though, in this case, right. And, and I wonder about the, um, the potential payout of shock value versus the harm because right. the harm is it was tangible when the book came out and is tangible now so it's not like the harm changed over you know it's less harmful
0: but so oh i'm yeah. sorry i mean mm-hmm. i'm sorry to interrupt you but no it's, because fine. it's it's part of like what i was thinking mm-hmm, was basically mm-hmm. how old is the book because mm-hmm. not that the harm has changed but yeah. that like the perception 2000s, of the harm. Yes, yeah. So yeah. has okay. the perception of the harm changed? Mm-hmm. I mean, because mm-hmm. the way that we use language in public, um, mm-hmm. public spaces has changed. Yeah. It changes mm-hmm. with time, right? Right. I mean, twenty-five years ago, mm-hmm. they would say the N-word on television, right? On, on network television. Mm-hmm. Now there's basically a, a blanket prohibition against mm-hmm. saying it in public right. if you are not a black person. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean. The use of that particular word, I mean, in the early 2000s, was was it not perceived as being, you know, sort of less harmful or at least people weren't aware of the harm that it caused maybe? I mean, would, would that, I'm I not, mean, I'm not trying to make an excuse or anything. I'm just I mean, trying clearly to
1: Clearly not. Cause like her whole point was that that word was being used to like police students at the school. So right. it was harmful. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So clearly like, I feel like, I don't know that.
0: But the students were saying it all the time. Right? the like, high school students yeah, yeah. yeah
2: and they were but they were saying it all the time to inflict harm yes right yes right and so i think that's the difficult part yeah. right then you use something that you actually are arguing is harmful right. as the title of the book right mm-hmm. and so and and so that's why i i i was reflecting mm-hmm. on you know what what could be other possibilities to get at the harm of that language without putting that language on thousands of copies of books. And now that's in circulation.
1: Yeah. and that's a really good point though, Crystal. I hadn't thought about like, maybe the author didn't have a choice as to like what the book was called. So that's like, I, yeah. And
2: I mean, I'm, 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 I'm definitely BOD given the benefit of the doubt because usually yeah. in academic world and presses, the author does have a lot of say, oh. but in terms of marketing, yeah. I don't know what, I don't know what this, where this book was published. I don't know who the marketing team was, but you know, academics want to sell books and right. usually books are not selling. And so what's gonna, like you said, get the most eyes And if Mm -hmm. it's for shock value, then maybe using that term. And so that's what I mean, that's that's one thing that came to mind. Um, But the other thing or many other things that came to mind also, again, revolved around, you know, the question I have for you regarding self-censorship. And, you know, how then do we ourselves begin to respond and make other choices based on the context we're in? based on your own language, based on histories of erasure, um, et cetera. You know, how do we then begin to select out? And I think what I was also thinking about is, you know, the way I think about and engage history, right? And mm-hmm. so for me, there used to be this sense that I always want to focus on how black people are resisting mm-hmm. injustice, Right. But you can't fully explain resistance if you don't explain the struggle, mm-hmm. like what are people struggling against? Right. Mm-hmm. And nowadays you have to have evidence of that mm-hmm. and the evidence, the historical evidence of what black people are resisting is offensive mm-hmm. because it's odious mm-hmm. in right. nature. And so as a historian, if I don't preserve those, the evidence of the odious injustice, then the the effort that black people have engaged in for centuries to resist gets diluted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we don't know what the what the evil is. Right. We yeah. can't actually characterize it. Right. And so then in what way do we have to
0: allow for the offense to be a part of the record this is this is fascinating I, I have like two things first just directly in response to what you were saying it makes me think about the representation of that um, mm-hmm. oppression too right yes. because you're thinking about like movie representations right. of um, yeah. the experiences of enslaved people like mm-hmm. uh, 12 years of slave and right. those sorts of things right and people were asked in the question of, uh, how much do you need to show of mm-hmm. like physical violence to to show the difficulty right. of you know the terrible terrible situation of being an enslaved person mm-hmm. do you by showing you know do, do you do you fetishize the violence right? Do you d- sort of dilute the power of it or reduce people's sort of mm-hmm. response to it somehow by showing so much of it? You know, these questions are real questions. Right. But also the reason why we were seeing that is because it was something that wasn't represented in exactly. popular culture mm-hmm. nearly enough. And people didn't have this notion of like people were still like thinking that living on a plantation was like Song of the South or something right. like that. Right. right. Or um, these sort of other kind of ways. Of or that there
2: were good enslavers that's right they're good enslavers and bad enslavers right
0: and this is still like a this this Mm -hmm. whole narrative is is um contested right Right. like this is you can go there are places in alabama georgia Mm -hmm. plantations that are like destination locations where you can go and they will talk about slavery and call the slaves like servants or workers or something like Mm -hmm. that right Mm -hmm. and sort of act like slavery so on one hand Mm -hmm. that representation that engagement with uh the oppression itself and the, the sort of terrible nature of it is necessary mm-hmm. on the other hand like it could go overboard like what's, right where's the balance right you know and my second thing was like the the whole time that y'all were talking i had an idea in my head about a book that i wanted to say like here's a book that i have thought about teaching or using that has the n-word in its title and not the only thing is i was it thinking about was the word uh yeah well there's one i have one that i was thinking there's a randall kennedy book but Mm -hmm. i was also thinking about h rap brown's book Mm. but the thing i was thinking about is am i gonna say the n word when i say the title like in class no No, right right now right now now, now. on this podcast (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah on this podcast now in some ways in my own classroom yeah i am I, i sort of create the rules with the students about right. what's going to happen in the classroom so I would have had a conversation with right. them about mm-hmm. this is why I'm using this book and blah 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 so I would feel like I had more control or or sort of mm-hmm. to set the parameters here I wasn't I'm not sure like I don't know I think we did one show once well, when we were reading actually we
1: talked about um, talked about this when we were reading Dennis Smith's right. poems yes. and I thought you decided that you were going to say it but I think the poem you ended up picking didn't have it okay. <laughs> didn't have the word but, and I think the rest of us decided that we weren't going to say it
0: well, I mean, Hello. my point, yeah, and we talked about it. Yeah. And my point at the time was, well, it's in the poem, and right. I'm going to read the poem the way that the right. author wrote the poem. Right. But even Dennis Smith, that's like sort of, um, you know, like his his their. book home, their book home, excuse me, their book homies, a homie, which has a different title than what they intended, which right. was by N-Word, which was mm-hmm. kind of like the original. Mm-hmm. And they were thinking, I don't necessarily want to hear people saying the title of the book who shouldn't be saying the title right. oh, of the I book, right? That. right. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of like, so even they have like, like self-censored themselves right. or, sh- or shifted in some way. So I guess there's like situations in which we mm. all have to think about this which
1: is not a bad thing right Right. like language changes and like I used to use a lot of words that I didn't know were offensive and I didn't know the origins of for example so I would like use them and Mm -hmm. like somebody was like hey yeah (laughs) like actually did you know that this is where it comes from I'm like I did not right thank you for telling me Me. and I shall now not use it Mm -hmm. right because there's like lots of other words that we can use Use, right right Um, so like I guess I think maybe like that in that case like self-censorship is like good right we're learning and we're just learning how to like use different language but i guess with like taking texts out of a curriculum Mm -hmm. or like taking you know like like would be i would i like not use james baldwin like of course not i would right right? i mean i use texts i mean to actually to your point mm-hmm. right like sometimes I use like this ethnography where um, it's kind of like a study of like a black working class and a white working class like group of young men and the white working class young men do use the word and they u- are using mm-hmm. it as a derogatory right, right. Like, so it's in the text but mm-hmm. like that's part of like the argument that the author's making around how like white working class like class yeah. uh, solidarity kind of gets like siphoned away by right. racism right so it's not that I don't use text So I think I'm like okay but I'm like always trying to think about like what's the point of having this text right so if there's gonna be harm done done because Mm -hmm. this text has it is it worth then right because kind of what you were saying right is it worth the like learning right and sometimes it is right sometimes we can't not have it because then we can't talk about the harm that has been done Mm -hmm. yeah um
2: and and, you know and then you know as i think as i continue to think about and wrestle with this question i can't help but again we've already contemplated how it reverberates with other words and terminologies and other within other histories. Right. And so if we are going to remove a text because it contains an offensive word for one group of people, Mm -hmm. you know, what are the implications of that? Right. Because, again, I'm a historian and I'm a historian who studies the struggle history, you know, and so that's like 20th century Jim Crow, you know, real violent, terrible histories and if I were to say oh in my class I can't bring in these texts because they contain this language then my students would never have an understanding of the nature of Jim Crow right, right. and so then it just begs the question right okay what are we willing to include and exclude but then also as I further think about this especially from my positioning now not as a teacher in a classroom, but as a teacher of the broader public. My thought is, okay, if we if if our if part of what we're doing in classrooms are to make or create an environment where kind of radical learning and happening mm-hmm. can happen, aren't we really trying to prepare our students for how they should behave and act when they leave our classrooms? And then when we don't, then do we not want them to be using this language outside of the classroom, right? Like do we not we while they may engage or like if they're reading a James Baldwin poem within the context of our brave space or however we want to define a mm-hmm. classroom, we don't then want them to just be then using that language willy nilly right. right outside. Right. Right. And so then how then <laughs> right. do we have a conversation with people, with learners from all backgrounds that, OK, this is the language of the time mm-hmm. and this is how we understand it. But this is then how we then use it. Or not, not for today.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Which I think
1: it's like your point, Todd. I feel like my classroom is like a much more controlled space. Mm-hmm. Like where I can have that right. conversation. Right. And I right. remember like the code switch episode about the N mm-hmm. word. Right? Mm-hmm. Basically they were like, we're not going to tell you whether or not you should use it. But also if you say the word out in public and you get beat up, like we're not going to be held responsible for that.
0: Right? I totally agree <laughs> and with I that. I think that's I totally like agree with You know, that.
1: so I feel like, and I think the kind of like public history and public learning that you do right as like sort of a curator like going out there in the world like I think that's harder to control right yeah Mm because like in our classroom we can like set some parameters right like we can have those discussions of like why am I using the text and why am I Mm -hmm. not or like and you could do a little bit of that I guess Mm -hmm. but I just feel like it's like a lot more it's like a scarier to me to be like I'm gonna go out into the world and like put these things out there because like it's like you don't know how it's gonna be received right and
2: and so therefore then the stance and the boundary has to be more clearly defined, right? Mm-hmm. I can't just be like, oh, let's be nuanced in our understanding. <laughs> it's like, no, yeah. this word is offensive. Right. We should not say
1: it. Period.
2: Now we can have a public program right. where we debate and unpack why. But, you know, the general rule
0: mm-hmm.
2: is that we don't want to, we don't say it. Mm.
0: I was thinking about, yeah. I don't want I don't ever want to police anyone's Mm. language Mm -hmm. because I don't want anyone to police my language. But at the same time, you know, I have to acknowledge everything that you're that has been said thus far, which is that language can do harm. Right. Language can hurt people. Mm -hmm. Um, Language can be the cause of like it could be the underlying cause of like. Physical, yeah, pain, people right. being murdered, et cetera, right. et cetera, right. right? Like it's not just we can talk about language, you know. It's slippery. It's this, it's that, you know. You can sort of theorize language in this kind of world that is immaterial, right? But the truth is that language has material consequences. and Language constructs our world and has materi- material material um, yes. ramifications. Yeah. So we have to consider that. I think you know when we're when you were ta- talking about the book that you were began us with you said, well, I decided not to use the book because there were other options. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I also thought, you know, because the t- it was in the title, mm-hmm. every time the students like took the book out to like yeah. open it up, it was there. Um, yeah. I teach African-American literature, literature written by black people, descendants of slaves, who very often use um, mm-hmm. any number of words to refer to themselves or to s- describe situations when somebody else is referring to them. Um, the n-word i mean uh, in other words for black people that would not be uh, appropriate to use now mm. but i don't have a choice about which ones i can right. use right like we right. have to use them like you can't right. not use fred douglas or you right. you, mm-hmm. you know you can't not not use ida b wells or whatever yeah. whoever it is um that word is and other words like that are um A sort of perpetual kind of reality when you do this and then of course there are other texts now I was also thinking about uh, Mark Twain Huckleberry Finn Mm. um, which you know if you read uh, Paul Beatty's book The Sellout like in The Sellout there's like this this guy who's supposed who's supposed to be a a, a buffoon who Publishes a, like a version of Huckleberry Finn in which um, oh, right. the N-word is taken out, right, and replaced by slave or something like that. And it's obviously a satire of that. But um, but I also, like, I remember being assigned that book mm. and reading mm. that book and being like, what the hell? Because like, mm. the N-word is in there like a lot, mm. a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact number. I used to know right. the exact number, but it's mm-hmm. in there a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But I also thought to my thought to myself that it wasn't the only the use of that word it was the rendering of jim right it was also like the part that that word was part of his name Mm. you know that word was part of his name Mm. so that was bad but also the rendering of him as like um you know almost like a childlike um uh, you know, uh, sort of assistant to, to mm-hmm. this uh, to Huckleberry Finn, who was an actual child, right? And so it's just really complicated, you know, because at the same time that I would say that's a that's a great novel, I guess, <laughs> and, and it's a great novel in that it is a sort of um, anti-slavery novel, and it turns on a kind of like moral. There's a moral flip in the book mm-hmm. that you have to know how to read that. But if you don't know how to read that, then it's a terrible novel Novel, It's a, is a damaging novel. So this is all leading me to say, I'm sorry, I'm talking so long. This is all leading me to say that like when people, you know, there are, there are certain books that I'm sort of like find myself on this side of people who are like, we shouldn't teach that book or whatever, but different reasons. Like, they don't right. want to teach that book because it's, like, about slavery. It makes white people feel bad or whatever. Um, I kind of don't think that you should teach um, Beloved if you don't know how to teach Beloved. Because mm-hmm. that can do more damage, damage. than mm-hmm. it can good mm-hmm. if you don't know what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. Huckleberry Finn is another one. If you don't know what you're doing, that book says the opposite of what it's supposed to say, right? Right. Like, so, right. Um, these are, like, the, the questions about what we use are even more complicated. Mm-hmm. And the example you gave, I think such a great example of you as a great teacher because yeah. you thought it through right and you really thought about how is this in, uh, impacting my students will i be able to achieve the objective that i'm trying mm-hmm. to ag- achieve with this book Is the other way i can do it and you and you never even really said like it was the word you know students were saying the word or whatever it was it was like they don't understand what i'm trying to get them to understand mm-hmm. by using the book mm-hmm. the word is an impediment to that mm-hmm. right so i need to use another book that can allow them to like get that that lesson, right? Right.
1: Yeah, and I think like I was actually thinking about when you were like, okay, so like in Huckleberry Finn, like that, you know, there's like the point that the N word is used, but like your point is like, actually the depiction of the character is like Mm -hmm. the, you know, sort of like the problem, right? Mm -hmm. But I feel like, I feel like I'm like imagining using that book and I feel like we would just so get so caught up on like the word that we would not even get to like, actually the bigger problem is not that the word is being used, but that word is being enacted Mm -hmm. in how the character is being depicted, Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes I feel like we sort of get, we stop at the like thinking about the word rather than like thinking about these like broader, not broader, but like mm-hmm. the more deeper sort of like problem in like literature and history or of that. Right. Because like we just get stuck on like the language makes sense. Right. And I, right. I you yeah. know and I'm not like I'm not saying like my students were wrong for like mm-hmm. saying that. But I just feel like like that. I think that was just like just an important point that you're making. Yeah. Right. Like actually the problem isn't just that the word is used, but that the whole character. Yeah. Is like. Right, like basically I think, being built, like depicted that way. I mean, it's both and, and I
2: think unfortunately we are living in a world now where everything is just so bifurcated and divisive. Right, right? like we can't have both and, mm. um, and we have to if if one part of it is offensive, you know, throw it all away, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm. Right, and so. You know, getting to this point where we can, you know, hold all of these things in our hand and have kind of a, a complicated understanding that has room for all of this. You know, it just it's, it feels more and more difficult mm. in the, you know, social, cultural and political climate yep. that we're in right yeah. now, which is different from when that book right. was written. Right. That's right. true. You know. And I think yeah. social media like maybe has some. Part oh, a it. lot. Right. Social um,
1: media and a 24-7 news like, cycle that's mm-hmm. true yeah um, but i also wanted to go back to like your thing was like you're like i don't want to police anybody because i don't want my language police but that's not actually true right like in community you are okay with like if somebody says hey like you're mm-hmm. using this term and it's sexist mm-hmm. and it's harmful to me oh,
0: if someone says that to yeah, me yeah right oh, yeah, like, yeah. you
1: would like rethink mm-hmm. that and not use that right so i just oh, feel sure. like i want there's and maybe policing is the wrong word because like that Brings up a whole thing around, like, policing, right? And, like, we can talk about that. But I was like, okay, how do we, like, think about accountability in community, which is not the same as, like, necessarily policing? I would
0: not use a word or, you know, a phrase or whatever in, you know, that I knew hurt someone. Right. Um, Especially in community. But, I mean... At all. I try not to do that. And you said before, like, you, you've you used words in the past that you didn't know hurt, right. hurt, were hurtful to people. Like, I think we're all on that page. So, yeah, I didn't mean that I want to just use. Because that's that's part of what I think is so, um, that makes me angry about this is um, when people are like, they're basically saying they want to use language just so because they want to use it. Like, right. it's <laughs> right. mine. Like, right. you know, yeah. like I want to do it, you know. I want to be able to say that. And no. Um, How about there's some, some things you can't have or can't do, and it's out of like respect and kindness to other people. Right. right? Right. So I'm totally down with that. And I don't use that word that, that was in the title of the book. I made a decision like not to really say that on this show and really not to try not, I would not say that on my, in my regular life, I don't Mm -hmm. think, which is not to say that I haven't said it in my previous life. Like I was like one of those kids before, you know, when I was younger or whatever, but I mean, knowing that language and words can hurt people Mm -hmm. makes me feel like i don't want to be doing that right so yeah i i don't want anyone to think that i was like i don't want people to tell me what to say what i just i i what i mean is i don't want people to tell me i can't say the n-word if i want to (laughs) because like that's that's my word now i also uh recognize that in saying that word I may hurt other black people. Right. And so I need to think about that. Right. right, right. But I don't want um, people to tell me whether I can use that word or not, especially when the way that they think it means might not be the way that I think it means.
1: And by people, do you mean non-black people?
0: I mean, anybody. Really? Okay. I mean, anybody. Okay. And, you know, it's, but it's, 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 it's gotta be thoughtful. I mean, I, I wouldn't, this is not absolute. This is not without thought. This is not like in every mm-hmm. context or situation. I have to think about this, right? And I, I, you know, I'm teaching a class right now, "Legacy of the Black Arts Movement," in which a ton of the of the literature in that class uses the N word. Yep. Uh, a lot of the artists, so Amiri Baraka, sort of the mm-hmm. the major artist of the Black Arts Movement, has was accused mm-hmm. throughout, especially in that time, but uh, throughout his career, being anti-Semitic. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uses anti-Semitic. Sexist, like mm-hmm. there's all kinds of sort of yeah. um, really objectionable stuff in the, in the poetry and some of the work. But if I'm teaching the black arts movement, we ha- we have to engage that. Right. So we have to like, and I didn't teach, I didn't teach this class for years cause I didn't really know how I was like, how am I going to do this? Right. And then as the culture sort of got more and more sensitive to um, you know, these kinds of things, homophobic language, transphobic language, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I thought like, oh my God, it's going to, it's getting, it's not getting easier. It's getting harder. (laughs) Um, But the way that I have done it, and I don't know yet if it's successful because we're still in the middle is really, we had to have, we have to have conversations all the time about the content and we have to talk about what we're going to do when we read, are we going to read this poem out loud? Why, why would someone be using this kind of language? You know, so one of the big things about, you know, the black arts movement is like this very perceived, this idea of um, racial oppression Taking the form of emasculation, right? right? And so, in order to like reclaim freedom, you you try to reclaim masculinity, right? Mm-hmm. Which means that you engage in all this kind of language, which is um, troubling and and problematic, mm-hmm. right? So, like we we talk about that, right? We got to talk about that. You don't just hey here's the poem, right? Deal with that, right?
2: But, but I think one of the things that that uncovers is the way that we have gained more tools to talk about these particular social, cultural, historical dynamics, right? Because if we were, you know, in earlier time frames, we might not have had the language of transphobia to apply to a particular poem from the Black Arts Movement. And so now we can describe um, the trans. Uh, the transphobia in that particular poetry without having to enact that violence toward trans people. And so, you know, in the ways that language is also changing and transforming, so too are our tools of analysis, which give us the ability to be more critical, and not critical, i.e. negative, but critical, i.e. uncover more of the meaning and context behind why these types of artistic expressions were created in the first place, that gives us the language Um, to do so and so while it becomes difficult because we are also dealing with people's personal experiences of you know this very real violence we still we also now have the words to name that violence Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that you know that is real progress forward yes that we didn't that I know when I first began teaching I didn't have
1: you know, at the, at the early part of 2000s mm-hmm. even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so. I think that's one of the things that I love about what's happened, like even in my like teaching career. Right. And I just feel like young people especially not mm-hmm. just young people have just mm-hmm. like blown up for example like gender and these like yeah. really amazing ways mm-hmm. right and we have like such different ways of like thinking about it and not and you know and like gender diversity has existed across right. cultures mm-hmm. and histories and all of that and so I'm talking about just like our content our contemporary era's ability to like name capacity, that right mm-hmm. the capacity to name that the language to name that right and I love that right and I love that I'm like challenged every day because <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, right. Cause I'm like bumping up against the ways in which like the gender binary is like still very much ingrained in like how I right. think about the world and my language and all mm-hmm. of that. And mm-hmm. like, right. And it's like, but I love that we're like trying to move forward. Right. In like mm-hmm. how we think about these things. And so I really like that idea of like thinking about if we're going to be using these things and like, there's reasons for why you would have to teach it if you're teaching a class about mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. this particular topic, but that we have, Different ways and better ways Mm -hmm. to like critique the harm. Yeah. And understand what the work that, like, the, positive work that it was doing to like critique something else right right Right. Right. yeah right oh I like
0: that yeah I mean I I love what you were just saying and you too crystal but it it made me think too about you guys are both talking about like tools that we have now that we didn't have before and Mm -hmm. like approaches that we can use now and sort of ways of theorizing the um, engagement or the relationship between the teacher and the and the student Mm -hmm. and everything and like a big part of it is like feminists and and particularly black feminists Mm -hmm. sort of approaches to the classroom that um, sort of Deals with this notion of authority, Mm. where in the past you would just would just be like, I'm going in and do what I do, and whatever you make of it, what you will. Right, I get paid anyway. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You know,
2: yeah. And and just a side note, shout out to the reason I'm here in the Twin Cities Mm. is to attend the National Women's Studies Association conference, where I'll actually be on a panel thinking about Black feminist Mm. pedagogies Mm. in honor of the great. Bell Hooks in her book, Teaching to Transgress. So that's a direct connection, right? To black feminist pedagogy Uh and, and the radical transformation that can happen when you apply those pedagogies
1: to a classroom space.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And I think just, like, the importance of, like, teaching as a dialogue, right, mm-hmm. which, like, she brings up and obviously, mm-hmm. like, from, like, Frarian sort of uh, backgrounds, mm-hmm. but I was, like, right, thinking right. about that, right, because I think, I do a lot of work with young people, not just as my students, but I do a lot of work, like, with youth as, like, youth researchers, right, and we've been, like, thinking a lot around, like, what it like what does it mean to have, like, an intergenerational space, mm-hmm. right? And especially, like, intergenerational and, like, interracial spaces where, like, right. we all come from different histories and different mm-hmm. cultural norms around, mm-hmm. like, the role and status of youth, right? And I think about um, so the Indigenous People's Alliance which is like our Indigenous student group on campus and whenever we have events like their protocol is that like older people elders eat first Mm. right which like goes against some of my like youth led like youth centered like work where I'm like the kids eat first right the young people eat first so I've been like thinking a lot around just that you know like how do we have these like conversations where like I don't know just right like young people are like developing these languages and vocabularies coming in this is also going to date me but like you know when Tumblr existed (laughs)
0: like it still exists actually Oh, does it still, exist? it still exists and my yeah.
1: students would be you know because i'd ask them right like hey like where are you like learning this you know now it's probably like tiktok and snap i don't even right. know whatever the young folks are right. using right. um i just feel like they bring in this like knowledge and critical perspective mm-hmm. but like i know things too right so like it's kind of this idea of like how do we have this like dialogue right. of like right. you know of like a, a teacher and a student and a student and a teacher and we're like mixing those roles up Absolutely. Yeah. and i do think that like that's what like black feminist pedagogy and black feminist like classroom mm-hmm. reflections bring to us right that to like this like more complex perspective on power and authority right, right? that i think we're always like yeah. trying to figure out right? yeah and i think it's also
2: something to because as you were uh, sitting here uh saying you know the youth are saying the honored elders, right, have a position of, of honor and respect. And because of that, there's certain certain ways in, in, of being with them, right? And so I was sitting here thinking, oh, wow, are we in that position of being the honored elder? <laughs> Not quite, right. but I think there is a beauty in understanding your position in the community and accepting that, right? Yeah. And so in the sense of you are accepting or we, when we get to that point, accept our position of honored elder. So then, then the youth can then accept their position of being the leaders of the, the vanguard, movement, the vanguard, yeah. right? And so, but I think they're, they're I don't know, I, I just feel like many times we reject our, our positions for all sorts of reasons, but then that puts it at odds and unbalance and in conflict. And so what is it really... I don't know. I, I was just thinking about wow, it's a there's a beauty in accepting how your community sees and values you. Mm-hmm
1: no I think that's true and I think yeah. I think about like it's not that you know I want to like be an authority but I right. am an authority like that's why I'm like thinking about okay like I'm yeah. making these choices in right. my curriculum around right. what to include and what not to include and that is a particular kind of power right. right. so I need to be responsible with that right so it's not so it's not like somehow like power is just like flattened in my classrooms right. Right. and like you know obviously I try to have like a democratic it's like, a, a power it's a, a power, power. the only yeah. power yes. yes. there's different
0: maybe, kinds, kinds of power and if you think yeah. about it you learn something from your yes, students because yes, right? you, li- exactly. you were listening there are, there are other people who might not have listened mm-hmm. who might have just like sort right. of continued to push it push it push right. it because this is what I'm using right. but if you you listen to your students and you made that decision yeah. you know based on the situation right right mm-hmm. yeah.
1: yeah and just in a way I would like listen to other people right if we were like Absolutely. if I said something and you were like hey excuse me <laughs> like yeah. I don't know if you knew this but like right. you're using you yeah, this I don't know and it's if, like I don't know if anyone knows
0: it but uh, Anita says stuff to me all the time <laughs> that talk the time. calls me out on <laughs> no, no 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 she'll be like uh, you kidding. shouldn't say this and Anita, I'll be like oh yeah you're right you're right so but also I mean... it's
1: because like we trust each other and like I right. trust right. my students right. right like I trust my students right. to like have a particular set of like knowledge and expertise and not everything right and like I don't know everything either neither do they yeah, but I think it's like some some like fundamental level of trust that like they want to engage in learning, right? Right, and like if they're telling me that there's like things getting in the way of their learning, I take that seriously, right?
0: And not every classroom right. is like that. Right. Not every exactly. classroom is like that. I think I've been reading um Adrian Marie Brown's book mm-hmm. um, We Will Not Cancel Us mm-hmm. recently, and mm-hmm. I mean she's she's talking about um how we are with each other in community, in especially in movements, right? Yeah. But I um yesterday my uh, co-instructor Amy Finnegan and I were talking about this and like trying to think about how to, how to apply this to the classroom right? right and this whole thing about recognizing that how we are in these spaces sometimes has to do with the harm that we have suffered and exactly. the harm and our our potential to harm others mm-hmm. and sort of like recognizing that, and to think about what is the kind of space that we want to create together? Is that a space where you punish people right. for making mistakes? Or is that a space right. where we call people in and, and continue to have conversations about making mistakes, whether it's saying the wrong word or talking about a concept in a way, you know, whatever it might be that we that those spaces are can be just without punishment as the tool. Right. Yep. And I think that requires what you were talking about, that kind of trust, Mm -hmm. that kind of openness, um, that kind of willingness to be wrong and that willingness to have grace when others are wrong. Not that you don't say anything, Mm -hmm. but that when we talk about what just happened, that it doesn't have to be about punishing people, that it can be about inviting them for a different kind of way of being and speaking. And I
2: think that connects back to An earlier point in our conversation, and especially, Ty, when you were saying about the freedom that we want in our language, right? But then connecting that back to, but we also have the freedom to choose what not to say, And what not to say varies based on the communities that we're in mm-hmm. and the trust that we've built within those communities. Mm-hmm. And that that's what I was thinking, um, especially when you said the word freedom, right? Mm-hmm. You know, freedom is the ability to do something, but then also to not do something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And so how do we moderate our behavior freedom
0: comes with a responsibility. Exactly. Too, right. right. Yeah. Exactly. And consequences. And consequences. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: right. Yep. Right. And so it's just not, oh, I just want the freedom to act you know whatever way I want with no that's not what that's not freedom you know that that's one way to think about freedom but freedom without consequence or connection I mean is that actually really freedom Mm -mm. right
1: and I think the connection part is the most important right Mm -hmm. because I think like that's what yeah it's like I can do whatever I want but like if I'm harming somebody else like is that actually what I want right Right. and I think it's like freedom within a community is like really different to me than like some like Mm -hmm. abstract sense of like individual freedom right? right but it's kind of like even in my classrooms right like we have a whole conversation. Around like how do we want to talk to each other? How do we mm-hmm. want to like listen to each other? How do we want to like build a community together in this classroom? Because like that is you know, and I and more recently, right? I kind of frame that as more like this abolitionist framework where we're right. like it's not actually just about dismantling things, right? It's about building, building. a world where not about absence, right? It's not about, like, it's right, about, it's not about presence, something, right? Something, yeah. Thank you, Ruth mm-hmm. Wilson Gilmore. So I just think Love like it. just been like thinking about that on like a micro level in my mm-hmm. classroom where mm-hmm. I like can build this where I have con- like more control, right? Like how do I like implement that, right? And I feel like. That makes it easier than to have these more difficult conversations, right? About like language and like, you know, all the isms and things like that. Because we can't really have those kind of honest conversations if we don't have that like trust and community to like start with. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right.
2: Right. And all of that then I think connects to, you know, the profession I'm in now and the work Mm -hmm. that I do now, especially around the language and the stories that. We choose and use to interpret various aspects of American history, right? And so there are ways we can reflect on the, you know, historical past of the United States that, again, would exclude and include, right? But then how do we choose in order to, again, create the kind of civil discourse that we want to have, which in the end, the result we want is a more open mm-hmm. and free country. Mm -hmm. And so there are certain language and certain stories that will work toward the opposite of what our end goal is, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so then how then do we as public historians choose whose stories we tell Mm -hmm. if our end goal is to, you know, make this country a place where everyone can live and thrive Mm -hmm. and, you know, and also not destroy our planet, right? And so- all of these things, while I think they apply definitely to a classroom, mm-hmm. they also, to the specific academic classroom, they also apply to a broader mm-hmm. public arena and public forum. Mm-hmm. And these are questions that we think about all the time as mm-hmm. public historians.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I actually think about that in your, like, the stories that you tell in your book right mm-hmm. and kind of this idea of like you know for me right like reframing and re yeah like reframing and reimagining like what was happening right during right. the civil rights era mm-hmm. and like thinking about because it's not just about like open and free society but it's like how do we even understand mm-hmm. our history and like right. what was happening in this era and this like right and I feel like in one of your talks you talked about right like what was happening during that time like the fight was fight for justice wasn't always like spectacular right Right. And like in the sense that it wasn't like a spectacle right like exactly we think of like marches we think of all these things but there's also this like everyday work that right. especially black women are doing and I think that is so important because I also think that in some ways I when you know when you like think about those big marches and things like that and then you're like okay like maybe if I don't do that I am not working for justice, right. right? So I also think that it's, like, not just, like, like, imagine a free and open society, but also, like, what is our role right. in, like, getting there? Getting and then there. I feel like the kind of, like, history that you do, I think gets us the, like, you know, you don't have to be this, like, right. person marching on the street or leading the march, but it's, like, in your own workplace, in your own home, in your own, right. like, space that you're in. That's right. Like, what can you do to, like, work towards justice? And I think oh, that is, like, that's... so important.
2: No, I mean, it. It, it you actually, you get at the heart of, of my book, which is called Continually Work. Working, which will be available at Vanderbilt University Press Woo-hoo! very soon. Um, yeah, <laughs> definitely a labor of love, and I'm continually working to, you know, finish it up as it's in the final stages of production. But right, that that's exactly the point that I'm making. Right, that it's the it's when the marches the march that happens on that April day or that excuse me, that August day, when that when that's over and we all go home, what then do we do to continue, you know, the fight against injustice? And mm-hmm. many times it's, you know, going in to work every day and yeah. speaking mm-hmm. up against the injustice that we see and that we encounter. Or it's like, you know, running off a hundred flyers and posting them in your neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, or it's deciding that I'm going to take this job because it's the thing to do. And those stories don't always get um, amplified. Yep. But they're the stories that if we really sit back and consider what actually contributed to the actual monumental and transformational change that, you know, people have experienced over these last decades, you know, change that would have allowed, that allowed me to, you know, to be a working class woman from the South Side of Chicago and to attend, you know, a public Ivy and get a PhD, you know, that's un- unimaginable in, in certain circumstances. And so that change that allowed that to happen, though, was the result
1: of marches and mm-hmm. the yeah. mundane.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Ooh, right? Like Every, day. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. So. And I also love that because I think I always think about doing some of this work and that like we're always working towards a future that we definitely won't live to see, right? right. Like, or like, we can't right. even imagine, imagine what that future would look right. like, right. like. We don't live it, but I love that it's this like, you know, so people couldn't have imagined mm-hmm. somebody like you, but here you are. Right, right. right. And I, I couldn't that, imagine someone right. like me. <laughs> so here we are. Well, here we are. All right. And maybe should we wrap up or is there any last thoughts on this thing that we didn't get to? Todd, I feel like you always have a last thought.
0: No, I mean, I, I, I kind of don't like I, my last thought is just like, I, have loved this episode. Um, And I think, uh, you know, when we came in this room, first of all, we're just, I'm ecstatic to be in the same room with y'all. Yes. Um, before we started taping this show, audience, uh, we talked forever, just yep. like catching up. <laughs> yeah. and, and it yeah. was really, really great. I was uh, uh, this is a little bit of personal information but not, nothing revealing, which is that I was having a tough week. It oh. is a very uh, lots of work this week and I was yeah. feeling a little bit like overwhelmed and like being here with you guys, has just made me feel really, really great. And Yay. I've learned a lot in the, the past uh, hour yeah. and a half or however long it's been. So I know we, my be a while before we're together in studio again but i i really wanted to tell you how much this means to me and yes. i really loved it and i yes. like this uh, this is gonna be a great episode
1: Yay. heart <laughs> emoji so, uh,
0: that's apparently that's the only one that's can the only hear. one
1: that really is applicable yeah. to us right, uh, right. so yes uh, you'll probably hear this episode after we uh, come out uh, after we release our last episode which is sorry it's okay we're you know I mean by the time they listen to this it won't even matter that's so sad. but yeah thank you both so much and I yes I feel like just seeing the two of you in person and just like this is why we do it yeah. this mm-hmm. is like a we just like have fun talking to each other but also it's like you know in this like world where it's a lot of the times we feel alone like this is part of like community and this is part of like why we do this right is Mm -hmm. to like be with each other and think with each other and to like learn from each other so thank you all thank you all for listening and as always you can find us on all the things where podcasts are and um, our next book is going to be The Cutting Season by Attica Locke so that'll be still our next book (laughs) it's our next book we're all working on it it's fine (laughs) we'll get to it we'll get to it we promise but the next episode out will be uh, Walter Mosley's uh, Devil in a Blue Dress. So that'll be our next episode out. And then it'll be this episode. And then after that, we'll be talking about The Cutting Season uh, by Attica Locke. So you still have lots of time to read all the books. So do that. And we'll thank you for listening.
0: You've been listening to a special episode of The Drip that we recorded together in person in St. Paul, Minnesota. Our show is written, produced, and directed by Anita Chikatua, Crystal Moten, and me, Todd Lawrence. We are the All Spoilers Collective. In our next episode, we finally get to discussing Attica Locke's mystery novel, The Cutting Season. That one should be coming up soon for you. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy the holiday season. And as always, take care of yourselves and each other.